Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. What's going on, listeners? We get asked all the time different bits of advice on the stuff that Sean and I talk about. And that's great. And it's actually something that Sean and I do all the time, which is ask people for different insights, particularly those who are a lot better than us. And one person who who we've been heavily inspired by is Jordan Harbinger. I've known Jordan now for eight years now, and I've been listening to him for about that long. And he's had podcasts for years and in fact has been in the top 100 for the last 13 years. And he has a new show called The Jordan Harbinger Show. And what he does is he talks about social engineering, in particular for helping men be more charismatic, which is is great. But what I think is even more interesting is that he teaches social engineering to SEALs, to intelligence agencies, to special operations. And it's incredibly fascinating. And we actually have Jordan here for uh, a minute to tell us some of his favorite episodes. In particular, the one that I've listened to recently was how to ask for advice. Jordan, what's going on? Hey, thanks for having me on. I've really appreciated it. I think the reason I chose the advice topic was because I'm sure you get this too. You get an email from somebody, maybe even somebody who's younger saying something like, I want you to mentor me or how do I succeed in my idea or how do I come up with a good idea? And these are the wrong questions. A lot of people are asking for validation of their idea. They're asking for permission to do something. You really can't get a lot of value from that. You have to be sure if you're actually asking for advice, you're actually asking for permission, you're just asking for encouragement, or if it's specific, intentional, and explicit in detailing what you need. The other half, of course, is being able to implement that advice and then show the other person how you've implemented their advice in a very specific way. So I decided to write an article and do an entire show about this on episode 321 of the Jordan Harbinger Show because it's been, it's helpful for people looking for advice and it's also helpful for people who get asked for advice in the wrong way all of the time because they can just say hey listen to this and then come back to me after you're done and i get maybe three or four dozen messages a day of people doing this and breaking the rules that you've just mentioned and i've noticed that when people do it right it can be career changing has any listener came to you and said thank you for giving this uh, advice here's what i've done effectively and how it's worked oh it happens all the time and it's great it's really rewarding for me of course when people write to me and say my dream is to start a clothing line any tips all i can do is say uh i don't know really what you want or what you're going to do and then of course any tip i give them that's not go for your dreams just leaves them feeling angry so I don't like to even field those questions anymore. That's crazy. Yeah, I do the same thing. Whenever people ask advice, I just say, just start. If the question isn't specific enough, it's impossible. It's like saying, how do you make art? So I think this is like an incredibly useful podcast. It's something that people need to listen to regardless of where they are in their journey of, of building whatever they're building. So uh, give this a listen. I mean, it, it's a great podcast. I actually have... Uh, I've paid for a handful of your products. So this isn't uh, just nonsense. I, I uh, have really been a customer for a while and, and I appreciate you coming on. And so uh, w- where should people turn to if they uh, want to listen to this? Sure, you can find me at jordanharbinger.com. But honestly, the podcast is anywhere you get your podcasts. Well, thanks for coming. And uh, this really means a lot to us. Thank you.
What up? Nothing. It's been a crazy few days. I got my car broken into last night. Oh, no. Front? Uh, was there something in it, or you just uh, San Francisco breaking? I, I have a garage. I didn't park in my garage, and the back window was broken into, and someone stole my little $200 like battery that jump jump starts the car. But it was like $1,000, or no, it was $400 to fix it. just sucks. Yeah. Um, I'm also pretty sure I have corona. Oh, no. You're feeling it? Yeah, Adam my, Adam Ryan, my coworker, he, he confirmed has it. Uh, he lives in Austin, though, but I'm pretty sure I have it. Were you in contact with him, or you just think you have it in general? I just think I have it. Oh, no. I was going to the office up until Thursday, but I thought that that was okay because I was the only one in the office. Right. And I didn't... And I like I, I didn't like see yeah and Alan was only there one of the days and I didn't see or talk to anyone even like I would I drove in I parked on the street and I just walked right up but I feel like shit but um, not that bad not bad enough that I can't do stuff but I you know that's a bummer what's going on with you um, well on the bright side for you you got to talk to your hero yeah so the other day um, for the listeners me and Sean are extra UFC nerds. <laughs> one of my favorite guys is he your favorite you like uh, him. i like him but he's not my favorite guy i feel like you i feel connected to him yeah so basically his name is ben Askren. he's interesting because he's very polarizing i would say he has more people who hate him than loves him but the people who love him love him and the people who hate him hate him um so on last week i gave a lecture on cold emailing and literally the day before i just cold tweeted at him and then we became friends in the inbox and then we just did like a conference call and we've been chatting and that was awesome and what was your cold tweet at him he tweeted out a uh, podcast that he liked and i tweeted oh hey i was actually on that same podcast like two months ago and uh and then I DM'd him the episode. I go, hey, I was just on that. Um, I see you're doing X, Y, and Z. I do this, this, and this. I just like you. But like, right. if you ever want to like shoot the shit, let me know. <laughs> That's amazing. And then you, you had a call with him. He's a cool guy. Uh, you guys are going to hang out and be best friends or what? I, I pray. I, I'm trying <laughs> to convince Ben. As okay, so Ben Askren is, he's kind of like this. He's kind of like, I think the. The people who like him are like the Jordan Peterson crowd, like the people who never had good fathers and want to learn how to be men. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like discipline, even though he's kind of a loudmouth. And I'm like, dude, bed. You have to like, you can like you can like copy all like you could like the same way Dave Asbury has built this huge thing. You could do that too by selling workout stuff. And I'm trying right. to convince him to do that. Yeah, he has a very big brand, um, and he's a very he has a very unique personality, so you, I could see that working for him. Yeah, and I'm trying to convince him to do that. He's based in Wisconsin, so I don't know like if he has like a whole bunch of like internet nerds hanging out with him that he truly understands what he's capable of, and I'm trying to be right. his nerdy friend. <laughs> That's good, and fighters don't have a very long shelf life. Like He's retired now, so um, you know they have to figure out the sec second act. Well, he told me he has a wrestling academy, and that they're not in session right now so he's like i got i got a lot of free time and so i asked him if you wanted to come on here and he said yeah so if you want him to come on in the next couple of days or weeks we totally can do it yeah we should do a brainstorm with ben on what ben can do uh, like what would i do if i was ben uh, i think it'd be cool to brainstorm those ideas i'm gonna write that down i'll email him right after this cool and we'll we'll research a bunch of things that other either athletes or celebrities have done to leverage their name their brand kind of like what we were talking about with lance armstrong yeah and w the same conversation we had with lance we should do a full app with 
Ben on that. I'll, I'll set that up. Um, Great. You want to talk about some new stuff that's going around? Sure. Okay, so first thing, um, Teachable. You see Teachable sold? I did see that. Okay, so Teachable is... Udemy, I hate comparing things because I don't want to be disrespectful to Teachable, but Teachable is like Udemy. It's like Udemy with one core difference. So Udemy is like you go to Udemy to find what you want to learn. Teachable is, hey, I can make, you know, you can make your website coldemailing.com. Yeah. And you you can sell your course on your brand, on your site, and they make it easy. You don't have to know how to code to basically spin up an online class on your own website. Yeah. And you and I are friends. You're, I think you are too, right? I don't know the guy, uh, but I'm really familiar with the thing, and people know my education nerd. So I'm like, I kind of was very fascinated about their business, and uh, they did a pretty phenomenal job. They were at like 20 million or so in revenue. I think they sold for closer to 200, 250 million. I talked to Encore, that's the guy who founded it, and he said that it was very lucrative, and it was a, it was a good, it, it worked out quite well. So yeah. I'm, I'm super cool. I'm proud of that. And I know. Their last round was at two hundred fifty million, so I don't know if it sold at the same price, which was recently. So I don't know if it sold at that price or above that. Even that'd be kind of amazing. I don't know. All I know is that it sound it was a good deal for him, <laughs> and uh, he is he's an he's an immigrant from India. Came here at age eighteen. So love the love the story. Yeah, and I believe they have several teachers who use Teachable and make over like a million dollars a year or something like that. I think they have some some real success stories. Maybe That's not what he to, told me. It might, it might not be a million. I don't know exactly. No, for, no, there, there, there are seven-figure annual earners. Yeah, they're mostly like affiliate marketer types, I think, but but whatever. Uh, let's not let's not worry. It's like when you say teachers, people think like an English teacher, and it's actually like you know. Well, like he Facebook he told ad. me he told me the big one of the top earners was a guy who has an Excel class. Yeah, I've seen that, um, and you can actually Google. I've done this many times. You can Google, uh, you know, uh, high, most profiting or sort of mo- uh, highest revenue teachable classes, and you can find the list. Um, I think they even have it on their website. The most popular classes. There's like. A social media marketing. There's an Excel, how to do Excel class. There's a coding one. There's a bunch of those. Did you do a podcast by? Your, I, I don't listen to any of our podcasts, by the way, because right. you don't ever listen to your own stuff. Um, did you? I don't even listen to my voicemail. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Let alone you talking for a long time. Did yeah. you launch your your individual so, episode? So I have two episodes. I did one on Thursday. I uh, didn't launch it. I thought it sucked. And then the uh, our editor, I think, has coronavirus as well. So he's been like in and out of the hospital. And uh, he has like an underlying lung condition. So he's like uh, trying to make sure he, he doesn't I didn't know like, that. You know, get, get in a bad spot. Um, so he didn't publish it. And I was like, I, you know, I got cold feet. I got to either ship it right away or I'll overthink it. That's I think I you should do it. And so, so he listened to it. He's like, what are you talking about? This is good. And so we're going to ship that. I have two banked. Um, and then I also, at the end of the last one, I, I, um, I had this idea during the podcast to do a, um, like morning routine thing. So like you're in your house right now, right? You're in your kitchen and we're all at home and everyone's getting a little crazy and trying to figure out like, Oh, I'm going to work out by like opening and closing the fridge 50 times. Like people are trying to find a way to feel good and not go insane. And I've had this morning routine I've done for years now. That's a nine minute morning routine. And um, so on the podcast, I was like, I should just make a podcast that's just that. This just the nine-minute morning routine. You can listen to it. It's just free. Just put it out there. So I recorded that last night. So I had two episodes in the bank plus the morning routine um, like uh, thing recorded. And so hopefully all those will come out this week. Are you working out? Yeah, I'm working out. Yeah. We, so we have, we've had a home gym or like a room that we turned into a gym. And now I'm using the shit out of it. 
I have a home gym in my garage, like a nice one. Like I've got like it's like a four hundred pounds for uh, squat, like a squat rack, heavy bag. I have all types of shit. And I talked to a guy the other day who was a listener or something like that. He messaged me on Twitter, and he said that their home fitness equipment is selling like crazy. He's like, we can't yeah. keep up. Hotcakes. Um, um, I ordered a thousand pounds worth of weights on Amazon last year <laughs> with free shipping. Yeah, the delivery on weights is insane. I felt so guilty because the guy bringing it up to my house, like up to 15 steps is like, you know, breaking his back for this thing I'm never going to use. And so I bought those Bowflex dumbbells, which is like it's one dumbbell. That's what I have, power blocks. You, you rotate it and it like yeah. can be any weight you want. Those are actually pretty handy. Yeah, I know. I have those. Those are my favorite. Um, do you want to talk about Airbnb? Oh, so next week we could do the trend stuff. We wanted to talk about trend stuff, but I, and I, it was a good one. But I think we have a lot here. Do you want to talk about Airbnb now? Mm-hmm. We have a lot. So we're going to do two things. We're going to talk a little bit about Airbnb, and then we're going to start this thing that we, we, we teased last week, which is Y Combinator had their demo day, and it's like a gold mine of new ideas, and it's sort of, you know, YC is Harvard. And so we're going to take a look at this batch of companies, and we're going to break them down. We're going to do like five or six of them today, and if it's fun, we might do the rest. I mean, the list is like 100 plus, so I don't know how long we can do this, but let's do like five today, and let's see what happens. So we'll do both those things in this episode. So Airbnb, some interesting things are going on. So Airbnb, you know very well, um, is an awesome company, one of the sort of most successful startups of the last decade or so, and was about to go public this year and was preparing for it. And um, now with coronavirus, you know, travel has stopped. Hospitality, you know, hotels, casinos, they're all taking a total beating. And Airbnb, of course, is going to get caught up in the, the crossfire as well. And so a couple of interesting things here. So Airbnb financially, you know, their revenue must have dropped by 50, 60, 70, 80% essentially overnight and with an indefinite time span. We don't know how long this is going to last. The second thing is Airbnb um, not only does it have a huge you know, staff on payroll and now revenue drops, but um, all the hosts were essentially small, small, small entrepreneurs. So some people did, you know, a traditional thing. They just rented out an extra bedroom in their house. But a lot of people, once they got a taste of that money, they started buying places, renting out places and subleasing it and basically putting it on Airbnb. And so all those people now, there's this thing that was a moneymaker for a couple of years has gone to zero. And so I think there's something very interesting that's going to happen where what happens to all these hosts who got places just to Airbnb them and now the Airbnb income has sort of totally dried up. Are they going to default on their mortgages? Are they going to default on their rent payments if they're if they're subleasing? Or um, are they going to turn into just normal rentals? Like I don't know what's going to happen, but what, what well, do you think about all this? So you already know what's going on in Zillow. You're the one who told me, right? Well, I did see some charts, yeah. So I saw some charts that basically showed on Zillow um, normal housing, so just normal rentals, not a short-term Airbnb stay, but uh, just here's an apartment for lease for six months is exploding. So like, it looks like the coronavirus is like, here's last month, one little blue dot this month, 15 blue dots on the map, right? It's like, uh, the number of listings is exploding for rentals, which is also bad for Airbnb because in places like San Francisco, where there's a housing shortage and for years, Airbnb has been saying, Oh, we don't contribute to the housing shortage. We are, we're a different thing altogether. Well, now it's actually kind of a, whether it's whether it's truly the the uh, proof or not, I don't know. But it certainly does look like if you're somebody who who was anti Airbnb, you have a lot of evidence, a lot of ammunition now to say, hey, look, when we turned Airbnb off, look at how much more housing supply came on the market. 
Look how that lowers rents for everybody. Well, here. you know what Airbnb is doing now, though, is long-term rentals. Um, they've right. been getting into that for a while, where you could rent something for m- many months, maybe many years, right. and that part is growing still, or it's, it's growing a lot right now. Right, um, and so, so I'm curious whether people in cities who are anti Airbnb are going to take this and run with it. And yes, you know, Airbnb the answer is yes. Very sensitive to legislation, <laughs> right? They they changed some rules here in San Francisco where it's like. You can only do 90 days out of the year, and you have to live in the place. You have to prove that, blah, blah, blah. And that, that you know, it eliminated like 30 or 40% of the listings overnight when that legislation happened a year or two ago. So and now I wonder if it's going to get worse. Sonder. You know Sonder? I'm Googling them right now. You know them? No. Oh, that's the, like, um, it's the the hotel. Or Explain Sonder. It's basically if you are traveling for work and you want to go stay somewhere, you'll stay at a Sonder often. Um, let's see, I'll go to Sonder.com. It's also, if you want to stay somewhere for like three months, like let's say you're going somewhere for three months and you want to, and, and you have to make a lot of money in order to do this. It's high end shit. Like in San Francisco, it's like five or six grand a month. Right. Need a place to stay or work. We know it's time, uh, here the best, yeah, the best parts of home and hotel. So it's like a, it's like a, an apartment that you can rent for two months. Right. So um, corporate housing, but done well. Yes. But they just laid off 20% of their company. It looks like. Oh, wow. Yeah. Today, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, breaking news. Um, so I think this is going to be very interesting how these different companies get affected. You know, I'm rooting for Airbnb. I think it's a great product. I think it's a great company. I hope that they have, you know, a war chest of cash that lets them endure this time. But um, you know, we'll we'll see. It's a I'm keeping an eye on. This. If you could invest a little bit of what you can, you can go and buy secondary <laughs> shares. If you can right. invest money at Airbnb's previous valuation, I think they raised money at a $30 billion valuation. Would you invest in that right now? Well, I'd need to know more, right? I need to know about the, how the company's financials look. Let's you know, say that revenue dropped, let's say revenue dropped 70% for this yeah, quarter. I'm, I'm not so concerned about the 70% drop because that's, that I think is, is more temporary. So I just need to know, do they have enough cash in the bank to endure this? Or I think they have $3 billion. Okay, so the three billion dollars, you know, they're probably burning several million a month. But like, okay, three billion should should still last you um, through this time. And then the other question is, were the fundamentals good to begin with? So a lot of times these companies don't have great unit economics or fundamentals to begin with. And so when the downturn comes and people start looking for things that are more stable, more sure bets, these uh, high growth but poor unit economic companies they struggle. They were and profitable so, in two thousand eighteen. Ah, dude, I love this. This is like an analyst call. I, I guess. And uh, I think they're also profitable in 2019. Um, this is all public information. Right. So, yeah. So if they're pub- if they're profitable right now, even with this explosive growth, then, yeah, it's probably a pretty good bet um, to, to pick up a little secondary there. All right, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk a little bit about our sponsor for this week's episode, Headspin. If you want to make your first million with your mobile app, you got to prioritize user experience first. That's where Headspin's here to help. See, with Headspin's mobile app benchmark reports, you know where you stand against your peers and get deep insights into your mobile experience and app performance. Their state-of-the-art global device cloud will help you obtain unique carrier network, device, and OS-level insights for your app in more than 150 locations around the world. No SDK required. Get your custom Headspin benchmark report at headspin.io forward slash benchmark. Again, that's headspin.io forward slash benchmark to see how you are comparing and benchmarked against your peers. Okay. Um, I guess we'll see what happens. Do you want to talk about some Y Combinator stuff? Yeah. So 
Um, so we're going to go through a couple of the companies in the batch. Um, you know, th these are, uh, well, we won't say anything that's too, um, what I'll call too private information. So we'll do what's mostly public information about these companies. So we'll start with the first one. Wait, called... Sean, before we get into that, do, do, can you can I tell you something that was striking about this list? How many lists were there? 150? Yeah. Uh, shockingly, uh, Africa, African and Indian based. Yes, this has been a trend in the last year or two for Y Combinator. Uh, they did two things. They went and did a road show. So Michael Siebel, who was the, the CEO of YC for a while, um, actually he might still be. So he went on a road show through Africa, through India, and uh, met, a, met a bunch of entrepreneurs. They had a bunch of events, and they sort of opened up the doors to those applicants and really got people excited about coming to YC. And their bet was that, hey, look, a lot of the growth opportunity and the best companies are, um, you know, we can go fish in this pond where not everybody else is fishing. And, um, you know, certainly 500 Startups has did this many, many years ago where they just, they invest in companies all around the world. This has not been the, the, the sort of way that most Silicon Valley investors have been operating. They're not actively going and hunting for great companies in India or Brazil or in Africa. But, yeah, it's uh, it's YC pretty is. amazing uh, about how like there's I see a lot of Latin America, a ton of India, and a ton of Africa. And it, what's funny is a lot of them are just you know flexport for Brazil. It's like this other successful YC company, <laughs> or it's like the same one says thing. one's tagline is Smile Direct Club for Latin America. Right. Yeah. Th that's literally it. Um. Yeah. Flexport for India. Uh. Or sorry, Flexport for Africa. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, and I think that's a great move. Yeah, for sure. Because a lot of these companies that that work when they're not purely software based, they're going to scale slowly. They're not going to expand everywhere overnight. So same thing happened to Airbnb. Airbnb got cloned in Europe and in all all different parts of the world. Sometimes they they were able to catch up and beat them. Most of the time they weren't, and they had to buy a piece of them or acquire them, or they just lost. And they said, okay, I guess we're not going to be the number one player in the UK. We're going to be two or three. Or and it works. Out. Yeah. And well, you so, want you want um, smart. You want to start it off? Yeah. So let's do Cron. So Cron is an app. Uh, the website's just cron.app. C R O N.app. And uh, what these guys are trying to do is essentially superhuman for your calendar. So that assumes you know what superhuman is, which is this really slick and very hyped uh, email client. I used it for a while. I stopped. I don't know about you. Do you have you used superhuman? Um. I'm still using it. Verdict's still out if I love it. But their tagline for people who don't know Superhuman is the calendar for professionals. Right. So their thesis is, look, the market for calendar users, for just if you just take Google Calendar, is 500 million people. And what they're trying to do is take the top you know, set of prosumers, right? So professionals, people who really care about efficiency, people who are heavy power users of the calendar app. And they're trying to say, can we get the top... X percent. They said top 20%, but really it's going to end up being the top 2% of people to pay $19 a month to have, you know, their Google Calendar on steroids. What's 1% of things. what's 1% of 500 million? Is that oh, 50 million? Quiz. Wait. No, that's 5 million. Uh yeah, that's 5 million. Okay. So 5 million people paying 19 bucks a month, not bad. Um, so, so they're trying to go after that. They basically made a very slick looking calendar. So it's got all, you know, aesthetically it looks, looks better. They have hot keys and little short commands and, oh, you want to set up a meeting and it's hard to sort of say, oh, I'm free Tuesday from one to two and Thursday from three to four. It's like, you just share your availability and, uh, make it, make it really easy. So they have a bunch of these features 
and they have a thousand users on the wait list who are um, sort of ready to pay, and they're they've onboarded the first fifty paying customers so far. So they're they're doing that thing that YC companies do. You'll see this a lot: is um, big idea, and then good traction, but over a very short amount of time. So you can't really judge if this is successful or not yet. And it says like fifty percent month over over month growth, but it's been right. like six weeks. But it's been six weeks, and and a hundred percent of those companies were other hundred percent of the customers were other companies in the YC batch, right? So it's yeah. like you know it's hard to really get a sense of these things. But um, I thought that's a pretty interesting idea. What do you, what do you think about about this? Okay, so if I was this guy, I would bet my life that this could be a company that makes a shit ton of profit. So there's cal- the nearest competitor that I could think of is Calend- Calendly. Calendly is a plug-in for Gmail. It's a thirty million a year company. That's bootstrapped out of Atlanta, started by a guy who moved here from, I think, Nigeria. Cool story. Um, Andrew Wilkinson, a guy I respect and like, thinks that Calendly is, or I think he thinks it's total bullshit and that <laughs> Google could totally clone it. I disagree with um, I disagree with that assessment. I think that Crone can for sure be a very, very profitable software company. Um, yeah. I'm not convinced that it that they should raise venture capital um, because I, yeah, I wouldn't raise venture capital if them. I was them. If they needed money and just to start, I would say raise a million dollars and just make this make like stoop, make it stupidly profitable. Right. Yeah. That's I what don't I would think do. That's the route they're going because they're in YC, but yeah, I, I hear that. I think that's a valid path. I don't think they're going to need a ton of capital. There's not a big, um, they don't need a huge engineering force. They don't have to buy a bunch of assets. Uh, you know, this is a software play that, Really, a motivated team of six to ten people could could knock out the park. If I was listening to this podcast, I would say, and I was technical, I would be like, "Oh, that is a great idea." Their <laughs> their website, if you go there right now, kind of shows how the product works, and I would just completely rip it off right. and scale, but be far more scrappy because I don't think these companies out here are scrappy, and I think that someone could build it and be able to pay themselves five million dollars a year in, in net income. <laughs> Yeah, you know the so so I think this is a good idea. I also like this general uh, genre of company. So uh, our friend Suli tipped me off to this a while ago. He goes, "I just think Superhuman for X is a good investment thesis right now," and so he loves Superhuman. He loves the business. It's doing really well. And um, you know, we were looking at this company called Linear, which is a um, it's like a bug tracking software. So every big software company tracks their bugs usually using Jira or some like old school ticketing system. Nobody loves using Jira. It's just like, uh, you know, you, it's a must. Uh, you have to be organized around your bugs. And uh, Linear just made like a slick looking Jira. And um, and so we, you know, we talked to them, thought about investing in them. Did you? And uh, I didn't end up, it was like a, it was a bit of a competitive round. And then I could have got in at the end, but I sort of uh, cooled on it because when I tried to bring it into our company, there was a lot of um, security concerns. Um, not that they were doing something wrong, but you just have to do a lot of work to be enterprise security compliant and pass yeah. those checks. And they hadn't done that work yet. Now, in reality, they're going to do that work. It's going to be fine and they're going to get there. Um, it's just it got out of sight, out of mind for me because I stopped using them and I forgot about the Are email. You, and you're making investments right now? Uh, no. Now I'm <laughs> on startup investments. I have uh, cooled off uh, for, for for the time being. There's a, me too. A freeze. So, okay. So verdict on Crone. How do you say it? Cron. Cron. Verdict for me is great company to own. I think it will work. I don't know if it's good to raise money on. 
Yeah, agreed. I think it's a good idea, good product. I think there's other products like this. If you just take a Superhuman for X and you take any work tool that's massively used and you just make a extremely slick UI UX um, for for that. This can work with to-do lists. This can work with email. This can work with calendar. This can well, work with- Well, you know how I would do yeah. that is I would log into Gmail. I'm going to log into Gmail right now. I would log into Gmail. I would click that little- uh, the, the drop down arrow. The drop down, or no, the Google Apps thing on the top right. Right. <laughs> I would look at search, Gmail, calendar, docs, drive, sheets, slides, sites, groups, contacts, hangout, and I would just, oh, wow, yeah. there's way more. YouTube, maps, news, translate, photos, admin, my business. I would, and you just put that on a, a bullseye or a dartboard, just close your eyes, and just there right. it is. That's and the one you, you know, do. Airtable did this for Excel. Notion did this for Docs. Um, Superhuman did it for email. There's a new one that's doing it for presentations. Called- yeah, so let's let's talk about that. I don't know much about it. It's called Pitch.io, right? Or Pitch.co? I think it's Pitch.co, if I remember correctly. Is it uh, awesome but, or no. something? I don't know. Like, why are people talking about it so much? No, it's Pitch.com, dude. They got the com. That's like that's a. How you, that's how you know it's legit. That's like a hundred thousand dollar domain name. What, yeah. uh, what, why are people talking about that so much? So, so I saw this the first time. Um, so this is, again, you know, just like Airtable did for Excel, these guys are trying to do for PowerPoint. So PowerPoint also has hundreds of millions of, of users. It's a critical business function. And uh, Microsoft does not make the UI UX better over time. Uh, they do not do smart things in the cloud. And so you have, on the low end, you have Google Docs and Google Sheets, Google Slides. And on the high end, you have right now, Microsoft, uh, you know, PowerPoint, and um, these guys are trying to to uh, do a better job of making making a sexy PowerPoint. And I'm down with sexy PowerPoint. I, lo- yeah. I always love their website. It looks great, Pitch.com, and um, it looks like it's ready to come out now. I've seen this thing. This has been like for over a year, I believe, maybe two years that I've seen this this uh, website like this. Based off the people who are recommending it uh, on their on their homepage, I feel like I know the people behind this. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're friends with all the testimonials. Yeah, uh, great. I'm very, yeah, I like that. I don't know anything about it other than what I'm seeing on this website. And yeah, awesome. And so this is one where I think um, great market to go after. Uh, your execution obviously has to be good, but like, you know, but but that's okay. It's better than going after a bad market because then even great execution doesn't do jack shit for you. Uh, I have another one that's like this on the Excel side that's called Causal. Um, so I've been talking to these guys. I'm not quite an. I don't think I'm like an official advisor, but I just give my, give these guys a lot of opinions. So causal is um, it basically tries to give everyone the ability to do like data modeling, like an Excel wizard or like a data oh, scientist. Oh, that's awesome. That sounds um, hard, but that's awesome. And so they have some cool things. You should just if you just Google causal's uh, rent versus buy calculator, you can see what the end output looks like. They make this like calculator of rent versus buy. How do you spell and that? Um, C A U. S A L, um, that's causal. It's causalapp.com is their thing. And then if you just Google causal app rent versus buy, um, you can see it. It's a cool tool. I don't think they've quite got it to work. I'm telling them they're trying to make it too, they're, they're basically too smart. So they're trying to do like data modeling and data science. Like, oh, look how easy it is to make a linear regression or Monte Carlo. It's like, yeah, but you don't do that frequently. You should just make it where it's really pleasurable and easy to do simple formulas and spit out awesome charts. Like, I love just this. do that because what Airtable did was Airtable took the part of Excel that's just rows of information and they made that sexy. But what they didn't do is calculation. People use Excel for calculation and charting and Airtable doesn't do that. 
So if you did the calculation and charting and you made it beautiful and sexy, you could win. And uh, these guys aren't doing that. I'm, yet, I'm looking at causal now. It's awesome. And, and pitch.com, I changed my opinion. They're going to fail. <laughs> okay, why? I went to their about page and they have nine employees and they're all founders. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a bit of a red flag. Um, Literally, yeah, the dude, on their about page, they have nine people. It says co-founder for all of every employee. <laughs> Yeah, that that ain't gonna work. These are also like amazing headshots that they took for themselves. Yeah, so I changed my opinion. There's one guy that's a co-founder and a QA engineer. (laughs) It says co-founder next to all of them. Yeah, Uh, no, pretty pretty legit investors. Okay, so so yeah, Andrea is an investor in them. Um, Yeah, okay, I'm excited to see what they got. I want to see it. It's been two years. Okay, so let's go to the next company. Um, The next one is Art in Res. Art in Res. So. The idea here is you can buy fine art in installments. And, you know, I personally didn't know too much about the fine art market. I think my hunch is that you know a little bit more. I, li- I think you like to look into these things. So tell me what you think about this idea and what you know about the fine art market. Yeah, so Masterclass is one of our partners. We work with Masterclass. I went and met with the founder. His name's Scott in New York a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago. And I learned a lot. So uh, fine art is one of the largest asset classes in the world. Um but Masterclass is not about art, right? Or what do you mean? Sorry, uh, Masterworks. So okay, Ma- gotcha. Masterworks is a website where you can purchase pieces of a Basquiat or a Pablo Picasso in the same way that you buy stock in uh, publicly in the publicly mar- traded markets. So, but art, fine art, is a massive, massive asset class. But it's incredibly illiquid. As in, you you either have to have thirty million to buy a Basquiat, or you don't get any upside. And right. so what Masterworks is doing is allowing people to purchase it with a minimum, I think, of $1,000. And what I learned meeting with those guys was how, how great that, 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 uh, that, as an asset class, how great it could be. So, for example, David Geffen um, from Geffen Records, a, a big entrepreneur, uh, during the financial crisis, he was famous for saying that his uh, fine art went up 30% while his normal business uh, equities went down significantly um um let me see what else i have a bunch of stats here uh, so i think i think i think that's really interesting if i wanted to look at how this company could do i would look at etsy so as etsy has traded at at a 50 to 80 price to earnings ratio which is really really good Mm um i would uh, ebay right now is is in the gutter but i'm really i think that marketplaces can be quite large and i think that I personally was shocked at how large, um, fine like fancy art is. And I thought it was like right. there, I thought that there's only like a couple paintings sold a year that made a difference. And in reality, it's not. It's not that way. Right. The value proposition is that you can buy fine art in installments. So you were saying Masterworks lets you buy a piece of a, of a piece of, uh, of art. They sort of fractionalize it. These guys say it's yours, but you can you're on a monthly payment plan. This has been a big trend in e-commerce. Anybody who's been paying attention to Affirm or Afterpay, these are multi-billion dollar companies that are just saying even low-priced items, right? Here's a $40 item, but you can buy it in four easy installments. Of, of 10 and Affirm each. is doing quite well. Both of those companies are going to go public or yeah. it, it's looking like they will. Right. Afterpay is actually already public and Affirm is, I think, going to go public. And so there and there's there's more. Sezzle, there's, there's others that are doing this too. So that's a very good business um, to be in, I believe. And so, so that's what these guys are doing. They say they've sold $36,000 worth of art in three weeks. 
this is uh, unlike a firm and unlike Afterpay, they're not a payment option on other marketplace, other websites. They are their own marketplace. And so what they're trying to do is they give artists the ability to sell their work. They say most artists don't even sell their work. So they say list it here. We offer people the ability to buy in installments so more people can buy. So we have more buyers in our pool. And um, they, they get the artist to put their link to their store, just like an Etsy store, in their bio. So they put their art in res link at the bio, and that's driving a lot of users because these are you know Instagram artists or artists with an Instagram who have you know 100,000 followers, and they're getting into the bio of all these different uh, artists, and that's going to drive traffic. That's a lot how SoundCloud grew early on was going for these independent artists and then saying, cool, we'll give you an easy way to host your artwork, in that case music, uh, but you know, here, share your SoundCloud profile. And that's how they got tons of traffic and built up their marketplace. And so I think that's what these guys are trying to do. I think this is smart. Um, the art market is one of those markets that's bigger than you think because you don't even you don't even learn about it till you're already rich. And once you're already rich, you don't do, start a company in it. And um, so I think it's one of those big invisible markets uh, to most entrepreneurs who are scrappy and don't own, you know, like a pencil, let alone a piece of art. I uh, So I would have agreed with you. And before you start talking, I I agreed that it was great. But then you, the way you described it, if okay, so I would I would be against it. If if Etsy is competent, they can destroy these guys. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be hard though because Etsy's niche is handmade crafts. And I think that's just fundamentally different than fine art. I think when you it's like putting a bottle of wine next to a Budweiser right in the aisle. It's it's a little bit. I don't think the people who want their art to be sold or fine art to be sold uh, or want to buy want to be next to somebody who's making bracelets. That would be my that'd be my bear case against that. Okay, I buy that. I buy that. But oh, okay, I get it. So I see a painting on here. It's three thousand dollars. I can pay over time for for twenty four months for one hundred and thirty seven dollars. Okay, so my question is this: Is this pay over time feature even that unique enough to build most of your company on top of why not just like have a normal art store and just install a firm yeah that's a good question i don't know why they're not just using one of the existing <laughs> installment plans uh you know why are they why, why are they owning that piece of it it's like an art marketplace but then also this financing program when they could just use one of the existing financing programs so i'm looking at it now um yeah, I, I'm changing my mind. It's stupid. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Jury's out on, on Art and Res. I'm not an expert in this area, but my well, what's your bet? there's something there. My bet would be I think marketplaces are really, really freaking hard to start. Correct. And, um, and so I, for that reason, I think that it's going to be incredibly difficult. And they, de- they definitely haven't shown that they've done that yet. But, um, you know, so I would say odds are always against any marketplace being successful. But I do like the fundamentals of what they're trying to do. I don't think this is a stupid. I don't think this is a stupid bet to take if you're an entrepreneur. But I do think still likelihood is that it doesn't work like most startups. I think that it, okay, but there's a difference here of working and just building wealth, and then working by raising money. No, I mean the business working, not not the raising money. Lots of companies can raise money. Um, yeah, but what I mean is, should I think this it for sure, it, it for sure can make a living for the owners. The question is, is if they raise money, then will it work or will it not? My yeah. prediction is, if they raise money, it's going to fail. <laughs> I feel like that's your prediction with most things. I think you just don't like when people raise money for the most part. No, the next one that we're going to talk about, carrot. I think that could work. Okay, all right, let's talk about it. Okay, so uh, carrot. 
uh, it's they provide loans and a line of credit for influencers. Um, and that's interesting. And the reason it's interesting is I use I have a million dollar line of credit with a, a company that provides line of credit for um, for uh, media companies. Um, this clearly works in some cases. Um, influencers, can it work? Maybe. But the, so the company that I use, um, it was started by a DreamWorks exec. It has over 100 employees, and they have billions of dollars in in and and I don't know what. How do you describe billions of dollars in credit? Yeah. Um, they have billions, a billion, over a billion dollars to deploy. I think it's great because I'm totally hooked on their company and I don't plan on leaving. And I think I pay them like a thousand dollars a month for this. And what do you What do you use it for? Your company expenses or personal? Yeah. Or what? Company. Yeah. So we don't really use it, but when a rainy day comes and we need money, I have that set up. Right. And so. Uh... And so the other example here is ClearBank, where they're basically providing credit to uh, e-commerce companies, and they're saying, "Great, you don't don't go raise money for this. If you can show that you're credit worthy by looking at your Shopify data, then we'll we will front you the money you need for inventory or for mar- Facebook ads or whatever else. You shouldn't go raise venture capital for, to pay for Facebook ads." And so the interesting thing here is. Um, the big ideas, the real big ideas that come out of Y Combinator don't always sound like big ideas to start. Airbnb is a great example of that. Yeah. Um, you know, when it was when it was on YC's list like this, it would have been called Airbed and Breakfast. It would have been like, you know, rent out an air mattress in my apartment. And it would have seemed like a small idea. And um, this is one of those two where it's like, do influencers really need credit? Do they really need loans? What do influencers need You know, this for? And it just turns out, I think, that there's a lot of influencers, and this might be a hidden big market. It might be something that influencers really actually do need this capital. They are not tr- – the traditional banks and lending institutions don't know how to, how to assess an influencer for creditworthiness in the same way that they didn't do it for e-commerce. And um, the question I have is, how does the influencer use that capital to invest and grow their business? Like, for e-commerce, I get it. For your business, I get it. You're going to – Invest the money. You're going to grow your business. What does an influencer really do to to grow their business? Is it ads? Is it to pay for stunts? That's good content. Like, what are they doing with this money? That's a good question, and I don't think anything. But let me uh, go. Let me go a different angle here. When you bought your house, was uh, was your wife listed as an uh, an earner? Yes. Was she listed as self employed? Um. Yes. Well, what do you mean listed by like? When like, for example, when you got your mortgage. Sorry, when you got your mortgage, did she did she say that she was uh, a sole yeah. proprietor? Yeah. Did you say that you are a twenty five percent owner of a business? Did I say that? No. Okay. Um, when she was getting approved for the mortgage, was it hard for her? Um, no, she. Well, it was a lot of paperwork, but it was uh, it wasn't hard. Like she had the the income to show it, but. Um, it just required like mine was simple w2 submit they're like yeah got it we understand your your economics for her she had like you know this roller coaster history and a whole bunch of different entities and like all this different stuff that like was very very hard for them in fact we i just refinanced because the interest rates have dropped like crazy and um uh, we didn't even use her this time because the lady at the bank was like if we can, can let's just do this off your income like I don't want to do all that paperwork again for, for your wife. That's what I think the opportunity is. When I try to buy a home, um, because I'm an entrepreneur, I told them I own, I think the threshold is 20%. They, go, they said, do you own more than 25% of a business? I said, yes. And they go, okay, we need to see the last X amount of years in P&L. And I showed it <laughs> to them, and it was profitable or whatever, and they still gave me a hard time. 
I think that um, if I was this company, Carrot, I would. I think that there's a big opportunity who can provide home loan for home loans for small business owners. I think that's right. the real opportunity here. Yeah, and maybe they end up doing so. They so here's some of the, the stats about them, right? They've loaned out a million dollars in the last six months. The average payback period is 45 days, so extremely fast payback. Uh, that the, the APR is very high because of that. So even on a low APR, because of the fast payback, it annualizes at 40 percent. And uh, now they're rolling out a credit card. After they do a credit card, I'm sure that they would want to get into other financial services. And if they can be sort of the financial services for influencers or the bank for influencers, that's very interesting because this will always be a niche market that is overlooked and misunderstood by the traditional banking system. And so that's the bull case. The bear case is, I don't know. I don't know what the influencers need this money for. I don't know if they can actually pay it back. And I don't know how, how credit worthy they actually really are. So the the strategy here is you get into a market, you get a ton of, you buy a ton of share, you, you people like you and trust you and you're profiting. And then you start launching more and more stuff to them, which I personally love. Which now, is the Brex model in this case, right? Well, it's yeah. And it's what I do. I mean, it's what I did for a living. We're built, we built up a free email list. that we sell more stuff and then more and then more and then more. I mean, yeah, a lot of people do it. Um, and but you got to get them locked in early, uh, and you got to get a, a, enough people. So I think that that's cool. And that actually brings us to a good point uh, of our of the next one. How do how do you pronounce this? And I'll tell you why. There, there's a there's an angle here. Well, what's this one called? How do you pronounce we're gonna, that? We're just gonna call it Leela. I don't know what it is. It's Leala. I don't know. Le- Leela. They need to change their name because that's hard to pronounce. Right. So it's it's stupidly simple. It's uh it's a it's a product that helps women freeze their eggs. Uh, pretty straightforward. But what I think could be cool with these folks, as well as Carrot, is once you get this customer on the hook, there's loads of products that you could sell them. In the same way Hims started with Viagra and now is doing hair loss, and then now they're thinking about doing testosterone, doing X, and then doing Y, whatever. I think you could do the same thing for both Carrot really well and this egg freezing one. Hello, Lilia. Yeah, I, yeah Lilia, I, think, I think is how you say it. So bad name, great idea, great business. You know, this is one of those you just close your eyes and invest <laughs> is how I would treat it. Yeah. Um, so the so here's some stats that I, I went and found. I, this is not from their deck. I just went and found this. Um, okay. And this number was shocking. Do you, do you know that only, according to CNBC, only like 11,000 people freeze their eggs a year? Is that right? It's not That's a amazing. lot. Yeah. Not, not a lot, but it's growing at 25% a year. Um, right. And I actually buy that. I think it's going to grow significantly. Uh, Gen Z, uh, I think, are going to put it off more and more. I also think that so large companies like Facebook and Google actually subsidize it and pay for it. So to get your eggs frozen, it costs between five and 20 grand a year. If you're in San Francisco, it could be 18 grand. If you're in a smaller city, it could be six grand. So it's really expensive. It's very invasive. It takes four to six weeks where you got to give shots in your arm and it's like huge needles. It's a, it's a, it's just a, it's intense shit. Um, but you know, it's about having children. So it's a pretty big deal and you're willing to put up with all that. Um, it's a pretty big deal. My question is, um, so first of all, there's not that huge of a market right now, 10, 12,000 people. What would this new company be able to convince a young woman to use them as opposed to her doctor? Right. And the other other existing services that surely exist around this, right? Like, I don't know the competitive landscape, but I do like where all the trends are going. So I think that, you know, the data shows that people are having uh, kids later, they're getting married later, and uh, that this is becoming less fringe and less taboo over time. And so 
Uh, that's what's going in the favor of this, is that more people, the market for egg freezing is growing and it's becoming more um, serviceable. Now, do they? what I don't see here is some unique go-to-market strategy. Oh, here's how they're, here's how they're gonna acquire customers differently than how anybody else would. I also don't see um, them really talking about their expertise and how they, um, you know, why, the, why they're gonna be able to build trust in a way that's better or different than uh, anybody else. So that's what I think is missing from this limited information we have here. We talk about product and distribution and how a lot of people, particularly first-time people, think, well, if the product's good, it's going to sell itself. In reality, that's not the truth because there's way more great, there's a ton of great products that die because they have no di distribution and there's a ton of shit products that crush because their distribution's amazing. And so in this right. case, in the same way that Hims is just reselling other people's shit, right? Like, Hims isn't interesting. It's just generic Viagra. Their product's nothing good. It's just that they like smacked cute branding on it, and they made it so men can call their call and get it, and, not, and young men don't have to be embarrassed about going to the doctor. I, you need to see something like that from this company, I think, to, more, to in order for for it to work. Because what the service they're offering doesn't seem particularly different, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. They haven't made it less invasive, less painful, less cost. They haven't innovated on the product side. So that means they need to have innovated on the marketing side or the go-to-market side. So that's what I don't like about this, but I love the space that they're in, and I think there's going to be a winner. I don't know if it's this company or another, but uh, that's what's great about this one. Yeah, and let me see. Do they have uh, – you? I don't know what – okay, here it is. I got the, some information on them. Um, uh, we charge – okay, so it looks like what they're doing is they're not actually doing the work. They're just right. a middleman for the clinic. So in reality, they're almost like lead gen. Yep. So if they, they have a five hundred dollar concierge service that they offer first. So how do we educate you, handhold you through the process, um, and basically qualify the lead? Yeah. So what they're doing is um, they are not they are not actually providing the service. They're just a marketing company for the service providers. Um, if that's the case, I like this. I think it's cool. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend who does a company called Yoderm, and uh, what they do is the same thing around dermatology. So it's telemedicine, but in reality, what they're doing is they said most people who need to see a dermatologist are going because of acne. Most people who have acne get the same prescription. That prescription is you know something that they can just get quickly from a doctor. The biggest bottleneck is getting an appointment. It takes you know 27 days on average to get an appointment with a dermatologist. So what they did was they built a marketing company that basically says, hey, do you need to see a dermatologist? This is a faster, easier way to do it. Just do it from like FaceTime your doctor. And then they have a bunch of doctors who just write these same prescriptions all the time for the same acne medicine because that's what people need 80% of the time. And 20% of the time they say, you need to go see a doctor. It's not acne. It's not just the generic thing. And uh, and then they're white labeling the actual acne medicine and they're the ones delivering it. And that's the How big is that? Uh, they're doing well. Fuck, I love that. Okay, yeah. so we talked about Cron, Art... Art and Res, Carrot, and Lil Lilia. That's a stupid right. name. You have $100,000 to put in one. Which one are you going to do? Hmm. All right, let's take a look. Um, it's not going to be Cron for me. I'm also going to say it's not going to be Lilia because even though I like the market for all those reasons we mentioned, I don't know why this is the winning company. I don't see them doing anything special. And this is the what a lot, what we have to tell people is once you meet the person behind it that could totally change your decision. So For this sure, is, right? This is not based on the people at all because you could meet someone and you're like they're so formidable that it's like dude I don't care what you sell I'm in. Right. 
Um, I think if I was going to do this, if I was going to, uh, this is crazy to me that I'm even saying this, but I think I would be putting it in Arden Res. Uh, I think I would put it in because I think if they can get the marketplace spun up, it's going to be valuable. And I think that uh, this is an overlooked marketplace, so, so uh, overlooked market. So I like that it's a marketplace as a model, not lead gen, not not, not anything else. And then the, on the other side, I think if they can get, um, I, I have a feeling that the sort of fine art marketplace has not been affected by technology in the same way as uh, all the other industries have. And so I'm curious to see what they can do. So I would bet the 100K on art and res, and I would write it off as a loss because I would assume it's going to be a loss. All right, I would do Cron. Uh, okay, why Cron? Um, I just think it's it's super easy for them to be in default survival. It's so easy. Um, like, I think that they can get to like a hundred thousand dollars in monthly revenue, like really fast. I think their churn might be high, but I, I I think that it's just because of the market size and because it's an impulse buy. And if this just saves you a little bit of time, I I just think that. They can get to ten or thirty million dollars in recurring revenue inside three or four years with very little capital, and so they're default alive pretty easily. And uh, depending on how creative the entrepreneurs are, they could expand beyond that. Um, so I'm going to go with Cron. Okay, I like. That. I don't we'll know see. who would buy them though. Uh, well, like for example, Microsoft bought Sunrise Calendar. I believe uh, it was, it was yeah. a calendar that people really liked. It was a pro uh, professional calendar. And uh, they got bought for, I don't know how much, but I know like Inbox got bought for $100 million for making a slicker Inbox, uh, you know, by Google and then sort of thrown away. Um, Sunrise got bought. So so I think that there's potential for an acquisition there by one of the, um, you know, big companies that cares about, you know, enterprise and productivity and whatnot. So there's a, there's a chance there. I just want to be evil and just clone half of these things on this list. <laughs> yeah, that's not evil. That's uh, that's not evil. Priority. That's just capitalism. But I, I do like I, some of these ideas. I think are really stellar. I don't know. How, it's I, okay, I. Can I tell you the one that I would invest in? It's not even one we discussed. Uh, I'll, uh, I know we got to go. I'll, I'll do it in thirty seconds. A company called Duffel. They're doing fast deliveries on college campuses. And oh, so I think it's a do, horrible idea. But go ahead. Not horrible. Not horrible. I'll tell you why. What they do is they buy the popular stuff that that kids want, like Ben and Jerry's and chips and whatnot, beer. They put it in an apartment and then they deliver it to you on scooter when you order it. So average card is sixteen dollars. They make five dollars per delivery, and they're delivering in a very lightweight way uh, on the same in a very tight geographic boundary, so they don't have a bunch of logistical issues. There's a company called Puff or Go Puff. Have you have you heard of those guys? No. What's that? It's this, but um, it's it's basically it's this, and they're doing over hundred million dollars a year right now, and they're just two kids out of I don't know Penn State or something like that. I don't know where they are, but somewhere in Middle America. And so I've seen this model work. I think that this is a Puff? good business idea. Yeah, Puff or it's I think the website's GoPuff.com. So you're um, saying they do a hundred million in sales? Yeah, more than that, I believe. Uh, and so they're in. Uh, you can see all the different campuses. So then, how profitable right are they? I mean, I don't know all that, right? I don't have all their financials. But I mean, uh, is a hundred million like their net pro, like their after they pay the driver? I mean, or is it like where the driver gets most of the money and most of the money? So goes they're to the they're store? at one hundred sixty three million a year. Um, wow. is the is the thing, and I don't think they even raise that much money. Like, let me look at their fundraising for for GoPuff. I don't think they raise too much. Oh no, they have now raised a lot. How much? Eight hundred and sixty-six million dollars. Oh, 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 so, oh! You Soft, described it as two kids. Well, it was SoftBank invested in them in, uh, recently, and is a huge round. 
<laughs> so SoftBank backed up the truck in them. But anyways, I think this market works. And I actually think it's great that SoftBank backed up the truck and uh, put the touch of death on this company. If I'm Duffel, I, uh, I believe in what I'm doing. There's a lot of college campuses out there to make this work. Can I give you two that I would do right now? Okay. Yeah, go for it. This is just purely off of reading about their market and uh, like a description of the company. The first one is buildplane.com, project automation for commercial construction. I think that with the recession, this can make this company a ton of money. Uh, their previous companies were acquired, so they're solid. But uh, just I love software that is in boring industries like commercial construction that can help people just save a little bit of money. It's called right build build plane like i i I, that that will take off and be big i like that it's not sexy and then the second one is true north fleet did you see that one i didn't see this no um we give independent truckers the resource the resources of large fleets and so basically what they do is uh you know a lot of truckers are just small business owners right they're just like Uber drivers, but they right. just do tr- truckers. My my dad is in that industry, so that's how I know about a lot about it. And they're pretty raw. They just use like up until recently, they didn't use Twitter or anything like that. They would just have their CB radios and their cell phone. And my dad would call them and be like, "Hey, I got a load for you to go pick up in uh, Bakersfield, and then uh, I need you to drop it off at the Walmart in this place." Like that's just how it would work. And uh, this company is is building bits of like software for small small trucking businesses and i I don't i think people vastly underestimate how trucking is like the backbone of america and how big logistics is in our country so i'm very bullish on that one i like it okay cool uh yeah if you like this let us know we're going to do either more of these yc sort of company deep dives uh since this batch list just came out there's like 100 companies we could go through if we wanted to um and if you don't let us know be like that was boring don't do it again and um, yeah, we can go through a few more next week. Sean, did you ha- you had topics already that you wanted to go over? We can do these next week, huh? Yeah, we'll do them next week, or we'll um, do them on Thursday. Thursday, okay. Uh, well, thanks for listening. This one was a little ghetto because we're all at home. Hopefully, yeah. the quality was sufficient enough. Yeah, I for one enjoy the ghetto pod. <laughs> but I, I fucking miss, hate I it, dude. Studio. I hate it. <laughs>